today on Doomed. Man, did Facebook have a horrible week over the past what seven, eight days now? What a what a terrible week they had last week. We're gonna get into Facebook's really horrible week. And we're going to obviously go into why it was a really horrible week. And I know what you're probably thinking. I know what you're probably thinking. First of all, for everyone watching the live stream, let me put myself up on the, the screen here. Let's get right into it. I know what you're probably thinking. Uh, well, there's two things you're probably thinking right now as you hear my voice, if you're a regular listener. A, Matt, didn't we do a, a Facebook episode... Uh, on just the last stream, like the last episode of the show was on Facebook. Yes, it was. And that was uh, a discussion about the leaked Facebook uh, presentation slides about how the social media uh, platform's own researchers discovered how harmful it is to young people, to teens. Uh, and there was a testimony from a Facebook executive to Congress when we last had that episode, and we had a full discussion about that. Uh, but since then, there's been more. So we will continue to talk about Facebook because Facebook uh, is... Uh, I don't know if facing a reckoning is quite an accurate way of describing it, an internal one, I would say for sure. I don't know if any of this is actually going to uh, turn into anything substantial in terms of legislation or change with the social media platform or the the company or you know big tech as a whole. Uh, but internally, the company definitely is going through something, and we'll get into that in a second. But before that, there's the second thing you're probably thinking of, if you're a regular listener of the show, and that is, Matt, what happened to last week's show? <laughs> uh, it is now October 12th, the Tuesday. Uh, you last heard from me on Saturday, not Saturday, what am I talking about? September 30th. That's uh, not last Thursday, but the Thursday before that. Uh, if you were watching the majority report last week, you did see me uh, last week on Thursday, October 7th. But uh, I don't know if you were watching and you saw me in the majority report, but if you did, uh, according to my dad, uh, I did not look very good uh, in terms of uh, I uh, was getting sick and I did not feel very good, honestly. I did the episode and uh, I thought I could handle it. And then throughout the day, I just felt worse and worse and worse. So I had to postpone last week's episode. And here we are today. I think it's going to work out for the best because this also gets me in the mode of doing more than one stream a week. Uh, which I told you guys I'd plan to do. Uh, this is not taking place of this upcoming Thursday show. We'll still have a show this week. This is last week's show. So you're going to get a ton of me this week. There you go. And now that's all out of the way, let's get back to the topic at hand. So when I say Facebook is facing uh, at least an internal they have to look within, an internal reckoning. Uh, that's because the whistleblower who released those internal documents from the company, 
about the research into how the uh, platforms Facebook runs, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, are harmful for young people. Um, she came out. Uh, her name is Frances Hogan, and she is a former product manager at Facebook. Um, it started last Sunday with her 60 Minutes interview, which I will not be playing on here because I don't want copyright strikes from 60 Minutes on YouTube or on Twitch. Um, but luckily for us in terms of audio, uh, she basically did uh, said everything she said on 60 Minutes and more, if you ask me. In her congressional testimony at the hearing... Just two days later, that's right, there was another Facebook hearing a week after the Facebook executive had a Facebook hearing. Uh, congressional hearing, I should say. The one we covered on the last episode. Now, obviously, the topic all stems from those documents about how Facebook knows how its products are addicting and harmful to young people. For a quick recap... Facebook has internal documents that um, basically lay out research the company did that found that uh, the platform uh, gives uh, basically gives teens not such great feelings, um, feelings of self-harm, depression, uh, body dysmorphia, uh, you know, the list goes on. I implore you to listen to the last episode of this program to get more into it. Um, so I'm not going to repeat all that, but the summary is exactly that. And, uh, you know, when obviously we're dealing with the lives and the overall mental health of young people, uh, it gets a reaction. And this is where Congress is stepping up uh, to really take this seriously. And Francis Hogan came to the congressional uh, to Congress and gave her testimony at that congressional hearing. And, you know, I, I'll say this. I know you've heard probably all in SNL covered it about how, ha, 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 once again, senators uh, old, out of touch, tech idiots don't know what they're talking about. Uh, Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut had that moment where he asked, Facebook to end its Finsta product. I will explain in a second, though, where, you know, he just said it wrong and honestly was not that far off in terms of what he was talking about. But um, that all came from the hearing on that was, the, excuse me, that was the one uh, in front of Facebook that we covered. Um, but then at this one, it was really substantive in terms of what they covered. You know, usually we hear, you know, usually these congressional hearings on these social media platforms turn into the, uh, you know, the stupid shit where you hear um, Republicans basically segueing every single question or comment into talking about how conservatives are being shadow banned or conservatives being censored online didn't really see this this time. Uh, and you had someone really who I thought was really good at discussing the issue at hand. I mean, obviously it helps that she is a whistleblower. She's someone who worked for Facebook up until the very end, left the company to basically uh, talk about 
what she said at the hearing is that uh, basically Facebook lies to us, lies to the U.S. government in terms of uh, what they say they're going to do and what they're actually doing. Uh, she uh, obviously uh, gave more information about uh, that Facebook research into how it harms uh, the apps are harmful to young people. But to me, I thought the most important part, and it's something that I have constantly over the past, I would say, couple of months especially, have focused on, and I hope you guys have realized, she spoke to the Facebook algorithm. And I, listen, I think all the stuff that people have been talking about when it comes to Facebook, moderation, foreign influence, uh, you know, uh, uh, misinformation, the conspiracy theories that spread on there, uh, you know, how they let extremists and uh, people trying to subvert democracy on there and, and launch their campaigns and, you know, the, the data privacy issues and the tracking, all that is obviously important. But what it comes down to, you know, and I feel like we all focused on that because we probably, you know, I feel like a lot of people thought like that is the issue at hand, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, anti-vaxxer misinformation, that's one thing, or how, uh, you know, the January 6th uh, 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 rioters basically used Facebook to uh, uh, promote and plot and plan and drive people out that day to the Capitol building. Obviously, I feel like over the past, like, what, six or seven years, you could chase this all the way back to Cambridge Analytica, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, to be quite honest. But every one of these issues was taken as, okay, um, we have to take this, and if we get Facebook to deal with this one issue, let's say, you know, Russian trolls basically trying to suppress the, you know, the African-American vote in 2016, for example. Get them to act on that. Fine. It's something doable, right? They could act on that. But then we see that 2020, the election comes and there's misinformation and all this stuff. During the coronavirus pandemic, we're still seeing this anti-vaxxer uh, shit spread on Facebook. This is no surprise. It's time, obviously, and really, I mean, I've been really trying to focus on this over the past couple months. It's time to put all eyes on what is causing, what is the force behind, I should say, all of those problems? If, if not all of them, about you know, 95% of them. It's the Facebook algorithm. It is how Facebook gets its users to spend as much time as possible on its website. And obviously the reason it does that is for advertising revenue. Obviously, the longer you spend on Facebook, the more ads they can show you, the more ads you will click on, the more money Facebook makes because advertisers will continue to spend money if Facebook is driving traffic and then down the, you know, down the funnel driving sales as well. So the algorithm wants people to stay on the site. 
Not only that, it wants users to engage with the content because when you engage with the content, you obviously are spending more time, you know, just scrolling by, whatever. But if you're looking at it, you're reading it, watching the video, scrolling through the the photos and the album, um, whatever it may be, clicking the links, and then you're going back and you're sharing that content, you're liking that content, uh, commenting, getting into Facebook fights with the you know with with other users in the comment section. You're spending more time on there. And you know, let me actually play this clip because Francis Hogan, the uh, Facebook whistleblower, uh, really uh, I think succinctly and with uh, authority as someone who worked at Facebook gets down, you know, really lays it out. Let's let's play this clip. Facebook is going to say, you don't want to give up engagement-based ranking. You're not going to like Facebook as much if we're not picking out the content for you. So engagement-based ranking is basically Facebook's terminology for how it ranks the content. Uh, basically, how it decides to show you the content that it shows you on your newsfeed. I don't know if you ever realized but your newsfeed is not in chronological order. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not always even uh, from content that was posted that day. You know, sometimes you'll see old shit pop up in your newsfeed, to be quite honest. Basically, Facebook's algorithm is looking at how you use the platform. It's looking at the content you're looking at. And engagement-based ranking is basically showing you the shit based on what you engaged with, what you comment on, what you like, what you share, what you click. That's engagement-based ranking. That's, that's just not true. There are a lot of... Facebook likes to present things as false choices, like you have to choose between having lots of spam. Like, let's say, imagine we ordered our feeds by time, like on iMessage or on... Um, there are other forms of, of social media that are chronologically based. I, I will say that that is less and less, those platforms that are chronologically based. Um, these platforms have discovered that actually if we tell you what to look at based on what we think, really what they know you're going to be into, based again on your history and your the way you use the platforms, that's how they show you shit. I mean, you see it on Instagram, on uh, uh, face. Uh, excuse me, on Twitter. Obviously, on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok. None of this is really chronological. Uh, she used iMessage as an example. Yeah, I mean that's chronological, but really more of a messaging platform. I guess WhatsApp would be another example of a chronological platform because again, it's more of a messaging platform. Facebook Messenger, I guess, would be another example because again. It's a messaging platform. In terms of social media platforms, though, public platforms where you post where, uh, you know, the main purpose is the majority of people can see it and interact with it. A lot of them, if not all of them I could think of, have moved away from chronological ordering of this stuff. I mean, it, I, I enjoyed chronological, looking at things chronologically, um, but obviously, uh, you know, if you're looking on your feed, it may be, uh, you know, 
one in the morning and no one's posting, your your feed's gonna be boring. You're not gonna spend a lot of time on Facebook. They can't do that. Facebook needs to pump out shit you're gonna listen, you're gonna watch and 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 spend time with. So at one in the morning, you're gonna see what they are pretty sure you're gonna like, regardless of when it was posted. Uh, based on, you know, who uh, you've interacted with, what contact you've interacted with, etc. They're going to say, you're going to get spammed, like you're not going to enjoy your feed. The reality is that those experiences have a lot of permutations. There are ways that we can make those experiences where computers don't regulate what we see. We together socially regulate what we see. Um, but they don't want us to have that conversation. because Now, I have brought this up. Uh, I, I know they don't. Uh, they may not want us to have that conversation, but I've had it. I have brought this up a lot over the past few months in terms, and I usually, I usually, I usually actually bring it up in a different context. I bring it up when we're talking about all those people who cry about free speech online, and how when a, uh, you know when a, a platform bans them, they're they're taking away their free speech rights. We want a free speech platform, and again. My argument is really, you know, if we talk about speech as the a marketplace of ideas where everything's out there and the cream rises to the top, you know, um, it's not really what happens, though, to anyone. There is no, like, you know, I, I, I you know, in terms of, like, letting anyone use a platform and that all content is created equally. It's just not true. It's just not true. Even if you take away like the politics of it in terms of like, oh, you don't want left wing content, you don't want right wing content, whatever it may be. It's just you even completely politically neutral content, just the entertainment content even. None of it is on a level playing field. Now, whether it's influential users uh, like celebrities or social media stars are able to basically use their their following and their you know to to basically pump up the numbers on their shit so it's recommended to you because if obviously a platform like Facebook sees a lot of people watching this stuff they're going to think oh all the people watching this stuff uh, let's bring it to a broader audience within that niche obviously if you're nobody you have a lot harder time competing than with like a Hollywood celebrity but what we're talking about here now is basically like even even further than that in terms of uh you know just basically like the level playing field of free speech on these platforms and the algorithm makes sure that like it's 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 never like that like if you wanted a free speech platform you basically would just let shit on your platform and whatever organically went viral because it was just good content would continue to be shared and just basically how like telephone works. You know, you share it, uh, you post it, your friends watch it, they share it, their friends see it on their feed, they share it, your friends' friends see it on their feed, they share it, your friends' 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 feed, then uh, f friends, excuse me, jeez, your friends' friends' friends then see it on their feed, they share it, yada, 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 it's like uh, tentacles or whatever, you know, it's, that's how it spreads organically. Word of mouth. But these companies have these algorithms that are basically taking something that they see 
is, for example, getting a lot of engagement within certain like little networks, whether it be by niche, whether they're connected by, you know, locality, whether they're connected by, oh, they all like this same Facebook page or they're all part of these same type of Facebook groups. And then the algorithm pushes it out well beyond the network. And, you know, they're putting their thumb on the scale. That's usually how I bring that up. And in my estimation, obviously, that's a huge problem in terms of, obviously, how uh, content gets spread. And we'll get more into that, actually. Let's let uh, Francis Hogan continue here, because that is usually why hateful, angry-type content, content that gets a rise out of people, goes so viral on Facebook. That's why when you look at the top links shared every day on Facebook, it's Ben Shapiro, it's Dan Bongino, it's Breitbart, it's Daily Caller, it's PragerU, it's whatever right-wing personality or uh, media outlet or uh, Facebook page. That's why. And we'll get more into it in a second. Let's continue listening. Facebook knows that when they pick out their, the content that we focus on using computers, we spend more time on their platform, they make more money. Um, the dangers of engagement-based ranking are that Facebook knows that content that elicits an extreme reaction from you is more mm -hmm. likely to get a click, a comment, or reshare. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because those clicks and comments and reshares aren't even necessarily for your benefit it's because they know that other people will produce more content if they get the likes and comments and reshares. They prioritize content in your feed so that you will give little hits of dopamine to your friends so they will create more content. And they have run experiments on people, producer side experiments, where they have confirmed this. I mean, that's, that's interesting because basically they know that that type of content doing well basically influences how content creators decide what to continue to make when it comes to new content. I mean, that's why you see conspiracy theories so prevalent on Facebook. That's why anti-vaxxers are so prevalent on Facebook. Now more than ever. Obviously, it's because there's a pandemic, but also because people see that shit goes viral and gets the engagement so they get into that stuff. I mean, that's really, I mean, think about it. That's why all of a sudden some of your your faves, your former faves, perhaps, I'm not going to name any names, are all of a sudden sticking their toes into, you know, anti-vaxxer curious stuff. Like the all of a sudden there's this slew of, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say leftists, but people who formerly dabbled in the left all of a sudden, they're all uh, anti-maskers and, and uh, open everything back up, no mandates, no vaccines. If you know, All of a sudden, I wonder why. You think they all just had an epiphany? But here's, here's the thing. Now, now Facebook, obviously, uh, is not happy with this all. 
And we'll get into their response in a moment. But let, let's focus on this part of their response. We'll get into the rest of their response in a moment. But let's focus on this part of their response. Facebook says it makes no sense for them to allow extremist content that elicits a reaction, like an angry reaction, or you know, a reaction that upsets people on their platform. It makes no sense, obviously. You don't want to upset people on your platform, right? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, a, a company wouldn't air a commercial for their product that turned people away, right? You wouldn't like, you wouldn't want to disgust people if you're trying to sell, uh, I don't know, uh, hamburgers or soap. It wouldn't make any sense, right? But here, this is where social media is different. This is where social media is different, and that's because. Those advertisers don't necessarily have to actually appear on that content that elicits that reaction, right? Um, when you scroll through your feed, you see ads on the side, uh, completely unique in and of itself, posts inserted between like posts from your friends and other stuff Facebook recommends to you. There's ads from companies that exist on its own on the feed, not attached to any other content on there. So they're not really connected to any specific content, these advertisers. But then on top of that, it makes tons of sense for that stuff to work on social media because why else, uh, what else, excuse me, would let you, would, would make you spend more time on there? I mean, you. We. I mean, if you're really online, you know the joke, right? Uh, you know, when when someone's getting really upset and people tweeted them to log off, it's because when uh, on the internet, when something elicits a reaction out of you, you stay online. Somebody's wrong on the internet, right? The next thing you know, you're spending two hours on the internet arguing with someone. Facebook loves that because. You're spending tons of time on their content. I mean, who cares? You're just commenting in the comment section. There's ads to your right. There's ads that's going to pop in on the feed when it's refreshed. That next story that pops up that the algorithm knows you're going to like because it's based on the content that you're upset about, that you're arguing about in the comment section, that's going to listen another reaction out of you, right? They'll put a little ad in between those two posts, right? The idea that that type of content would not be beneficial to Facebook flies in the face of what we know to be the truth. And you don't have to be a researcher. You could just listen to the to very basic online internet type jokes. Log off. Somebody's mad. I mean, I just mentioned these, right? I mean, because people do the opposite. They don't log off. They stay on and they argue for hours. Because Facebook and Facebook loves it. They know. They know. You, the algorithm knows you're on there. And they know you're interacting. They see you doing a little angry face emoji, which, by the way, does not matter. Does not matter. It's engagement nonetheless. It's the same on YouTube, really. People think when they hit the dislike button, it's doing something. No. It doesn't do shit. Please dislike my videos. All it helps is tell YouTube, oh, people are engaging with this. We better show it to more people. Because then they're going to engage with it and spend more time on our platform. So when you're on Facebook and you hit the little angry emoji or the sad emoji or whatever, 
It's engagement. That's all it is to them. And they see that as, yeah, you like that, right? They don't care if you... I mean, they probably do have algorithms that determine, oh, this person was uh, sad about this. Uh, and they keep doing the sad face for this type of content. They must really like like emotional type content. Let's send them more like upworthy stuff or whatever. Maybe that's how they determine it based on like uh, sending you more con content based on what emoji you use. But in terms of like, oh, you did an angry face. They don't like that. We're not going to show them any more of that. That's not how this works. Oh, they're angry about that. They're going to get into an argument. They're going to let's send them more shit like that. I mean, that's why right-wing content does so good on Facebook. These right-wingers get so angry about this shit. I mean, all, not even, you don't have to get into the right-wing content, actually. The best example is the top Facebook link every year. Every year. It's usually a local news item about uh, you know a murderer on the loose or missing kids. And it's usually a hyper local news article, and it's usually from like a you know from like a, a local like NBC, ABC, CBS affiliate in like Florida or California or wherever. Why did all of a sudden all these people share a post about a missing kid in Florida? It's because it elicited a reaction out of them, and the Facebook algorithm said, "Oh shit, we're gonna send this to more people." I remember, the, I remember the most recent story too. It was like literally the article was like ten, not even it was not even ten sentences. I think it was like five sentences or something like that about a missing kid or something. And it had like half a million shares over the year. It, it's just how they keep you on the platform, and I'm telling you. So much would be, all those problems I read before, so much of it would be dealt with. Like, why would we be caring about white supremacist organizations on Facebook if they were only able to send this shit between the few thousand of them who are like members of the organization? I'm talking like if there was no algorithm. But then the problem is, the algorithm sees the interactions and gets it outside of their little networks and circles. And then you got people falling down the rabbit hole and becoming white supremacists because of it. If there was no algorithm pushing that shit, of course it'd be a problem it was on there, but you think it would really organically spread? If there wasn't someone waving it in front of non-white supremacist's face or people who are not active in white supremacist circles' face, they wouldn't even know about it. It wouldn't even come across their feed. All right, let's play uh, another clip from uh, the Facebook whistleblower. And then I want to get into Facebook's response. Uh, all right, let's get to this clip. Uh, oh, that's the one from before. One second. Don't want to give up engagement-based uh, no. ranking. Right, here's the new You're one. not going to like Facebook. 
Mark Zuckerberg was directly presented with a list of, quote, soft interventions. So a hard intervention is like taking a piece of content off Facebook, taking a user off Facebook. So All right, this part is really interesting. What she says in this is actually something I did not, I think a lot of people did not know about. Like a lot of what she's saying, a lot of what she leaked is stuff that people who cover this and know about these platforms pretty much knew about. Obviously, it's a big deal to see, A, this stuff come from Facebook's own documents, and B, Facebook knowing how it harms certain groups, young teens, for example. But a lot of this stuff is known. Uh, if you're in this world, work in this world, cover this world. But this is, she gets to something that I, I think a lot of people did not know about. Let me rewind it to the beginning. Mark Zuckerberg was directly presented with a list of, quote, soft interventions. So a hard intervention is like taking a piece of content off Facebook, taking a user off Facebook. Soft interventions are about making slightly different choices to make the platform less viral, less twitchy. Um, Mark was presented with these options and chose to not remove downstream MSI in April of 2020, even though he, in, in, in even just isolated in at-risk countries. That's countries at risk of violence. Okay, let me just break this down. So MSI is a Facebook term, like uh, uh, engagement-based ranking that I uh, told you about before. MSI stands for Meaningful Social Interactions. And what does that mean? Well, to be quite honest, it's not really clear. Facebook never really, I don't think Facebook itself ever really decided like a hard definition for what is a meaningful social interaction. But in short, it's basically how Facebook decides to uh, prioritize interactions. And in short, and it's very, it's, and it's most basic, the Facebook algorithm uh, basically prioritizes posts and engagements from people that each Facebook user was determined to interact with the most. Now, technically, in you know, if this was the old days of Facebook and the early days, that would be your family and friends, right? Like people you actually know in real life, and this would make sense. The issue here is that's not really how people use Facebook anymore. So when somebody, we could, let's stick with politics here, when somebody who is a Trump supporter is on Facebook and they're friending all the Trump supporters they come across that they're befriending in the comments section and all the new friends they're making based on what Facebook's algorithm is pushing to them because of their engagement-based rankings, their friends list suddenly becomes a bunch of other right-wingers, right? And you get you know you have your you know your generic uh, Trump supporter uh, who doesn't really who's not really political but likes Trump a lot. But then you go down the line, and of course you throw in uh, right wing personalities. Then you get into keep going far right extremists, and you keep going. You get QAnon conspiracy theorists. Keep going. You know you get all sorts of different groups, militias. And when that meaningful social interactions uh, prioritization kicks in, you have an algorithm. That's just showing this user all the content their friends, all those right-wing groups and people, are interacting with. And you just have this vicious cycle here where this person's entire feed is, it looks like uh, they're living in an alternative reality 
where the news is completely different from what every the, the world everybody else is living in. And what she's saying here, what uh, the whistleblower is saying here, uh, is that uh, countries like uh, Myanmar, I'm sorry if I'm messing up how it's said. It, I, I always said Myanmar, but apparently it's Myanmar. Um, that's the problem when you read so much and you're not talking with people because of uh, <laughs> seeing people all the time because of the pandemic. Uh, you, you, you don't know how to pronounce certain things. But uh, Myanmar, uh, for example, had an issue where uh, there was a Facebook, uh, really, Facebook uh, promoted genocide of the Uyghur people there. The Uyghur people there. Uyghur, Uyghur, I'm sorry. Um, and what she's saying is, as these conspiracy theories and other things spread about different groups in these countries where... Facebook turning into real-world violence was a real problem. They wouldn't even alter the algorithm to deal with those issues in those countries. Um, if it had any impact on the overall MSI metric. So he chose... Which in translation means yeah. less money. Yeah, he, he, he said... Right? Was there another yeah. reason given why they would do it other than they thought it would really affect their yeah. numbers? Um, I don't know for certain, like Jeff, Jeff Horowitz, the reporter for the Wall Street Journal, and I struggled with this. We sat there and read these minutes, and we we're like, how is this possible? Like, we've just read 100 pages on how downstream MSI expands hate speech, misinformation, violence inciting content, graphic violent content. Why wouldn't you get rid of this? And we, we, the best theory that we've come up with, and I want to emphasize this is just our interpretation on it, is people's bonuses are tied to MSI. Right, like people, people stay or leave the company based on what they get paid, and like if you hurt MSI, a bunch of people didn't weren't going to get their bonuses. Now, listen, again, she says a theory as to why they didn't change uh, MSI, the meaningful social interactions, uh, prioritization, why they didn't change that. The theory is because of the bonuses. She's not saying the theory, though, is the bonuses. And this, to me, is something I don't think many people knew about. I don't know if I ever came across it. It sounded possible, but it sounded new to me when, I, when she said it. People in the company have a motive, basically. Have an incentive is the better term here, actually. An incentive to make sure those uh, uh, social interactions are up, as in they need to make sure they're getting all the clicks, all the likes, all the shares, all the comments, as much as possible, drive that engagement up. And the reason they're, and, and the reason they're so into doing that is because the incentive is monetary. Not just for the company. Oh, the company makes more advertising dollars. Right, right, right. No, no, no. She's saying that there are bonuses for people. Individuals make more money. Employees make more money. It's like a quota, it sounds like to me. Like how cops have to uh, give a certain amount of tickets every month, right? It's a quota, it sounds like to me. 
in the uh, YouTube chat here, Public Utility says, who consumes content they do not like? It's not that you don't like the content. It's that it elicits a reaction out of you. You read shit that makes you angry all the time. I mean, you listen to this show, right? And you're not a right-winger, right? And the majority of the show covers right-wing conspiracy theories, right-wing extremism. Um, Obviously, another big uh, part of this show is the tech platforms and misinformation. I mean, none of us are fans of misinformation. None of us are fans of Mark Zuckerberg. None of us are fans of Ben Shapiro. But here you are listening to this show, right? Where I talk about Mark Zuckerberg, Ben Shapiro, and misinformation. Because you're interested in it, right? But you're interested in it because you get a reaction out of it. I mean... It's engaging to consume content that gives you a strong emotional response, whatever it may be. Why do we go see sad movies? Why do we see horror movies? Why do we see, you know, well, I mean, I'm, as a pro wrestling fan, why do I watch when uh, they're specifically treating the best talents like shit? Because it's, it angers us. We watch and we get angry at the company, right? We get angry at the storylines, right? We enjoy that rush, even if the emotional response is anger, right? Zoe in the chat says, Woo, let's go misinformation. Right, right, right. And here, here's the thing I want to talk about now. And well, before before we we move to the next to that, I actually just want to say, and, and you know, there's a lot in this testimony. There's a lot in these hearings. There's a lot in these documents. And I covered, again, the young, uh, how it affects young people in the last episode of the show. Go back, listen to that. There's a lot more. But I wanted this episode to focus on the algorithm. Because I think that that is where this focus should be going forward. And we're going to be doing a lot of shows on it. I'm trying to get some experts on to talk about it as well. And more generally, you know, not just Facebook, all these tech companies work off their algorithms. It is a huge issue. And so now let's move on to Facebook's response to this. Their defense. And this this was this was just stunning to me honestly. Throughout the hearing, Facebook's press uh team, specifically their um their communications director, Andy Stone, tweeted 
responses to what she was saying, but none of it actually dealt with the substance. Basically, it was all just attacking her, and not even really like her character, but attacking her expertise, which was very bizarre to me. And I'll tell you why in a second. Let me pull up some of these examples, some of these tweets. So you can see for yourself what I'm talking about. And I'll read them too for people listening to the podcast version of this program. Just pointing out the fact that Francis Hogan did not work on child safety or Instagram or research these issues and has no direct knowledge of the topic from her work at Facebook. As she herself just said under oath, I don't work on it. And then he put out another one. Uh, he quote tweeted a moment where Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar asks if teens are some of Facebook's most profitable users. Hogan says, I'm sure they are some of the most profitable users on Facebook, but I do not work. They're some of the more profitable users on Facebook, but I do not work directly on them. And so Facebook's communications director says, he just basically quotes with emphasis, I do not work directly on them. He's basically just trying to point out that she doesn't have expertise in this area. So we should not believe her. But it doesn't make any sense. It's really, really bizarre to do this line, to attack the character. Uh, I mean, is it, it, basically to, it is sort of an attack on her character, right? If you're attacking how much she knows about something or her expertise, it's attacking her character. It makes zero sense, though. And I get, let's bring this one back. because Let's go through what, everything you said here. Frances Hogan did not work on child safety. She said that before. She admits to that. But she's not there as the whistleblower expert on child safety. She's there as the Facebook... She worked on, as a product manager for Facebook. But she had access to those documents, which apparently anyone who works at Facebook had access to. And she decided... To put them out there. She's just basically saying, as someone who worked within the company and knows how it worked in a general sense as a product manager, she did work with misinformation and I believe uh, esp uh, uh, counter espionage on the platform. Basically like civic uh, work on the platform. But you don't need to be the child safety expert because the documents she released are data from the researchers who Facebook hired to do the internal work who you would assume are child safety experts, right? Like, she's not saying I did my own data and research here based on the internal information. No, she's presenting the Facebook internal information that ostensibly Facebook hired experts in that child safety field to work on, right? Same with her, what he said about Instagram or the general research of these issues or direct knowledge of the topic from her work at Facebook again. Her testimony is based on her as an employee and what she understood as the general sense of how the company worked. I mean, if anything, the idea that someone who did not work in these areas, someone who was just a product manager for a completely different uh, internal organization uh, 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 team at that company knowing about this stuff means that wow this is such a widespread problem at Facebook that people who aren't even working on that specific issue know about it and still nothing is being done nothing's being fixed 
Nothing's being uh, handled there. That, to me, is even worse. And if you're wondering if this was just one Facebook employee's take, no, because Facebook then had an official statement from their director of policy communications, Lena Peach. Today, a Senate Commerce Subcommittee held a hearing with a former product manager at Facebook who worked for the company for less than two years, had no direct... On this one, this one here is certainly an attack on her character. With the former product manager at Facebook who worked for the company for less than two years, who cares, had no direct reports, who cares, never attended a decision point meeting with C-level executives, who cares, and testified more than six times to not working on the subject matter in question. Right, so she's being truthful at the hearing, which means I would say that puts a lot toward her character that she only spoke to specifically what she was knowledgeable about, right? It means we can trust what she's saying because she only spoke to where she felt like she could lend additional context, right? They continued. We don't agree with her characterization of the many issues she testified about. Despite all this, we agree on one thing. It's time to create, it's time to begin to create standard rules for the internet. It's been 25 years since the rules of the internet have been updated and instead of expecting the industry to make societal decisions that belong to legislatures, legislators, it is time for Congress to act. I mean, Facebook doesn't have a choice there now, right? But what a bizarre thing to attack her specifically. What a bizarre thing. Because none of that, I mean, if anything, just makes her look better. Now listen, I don't agree with everything that she had to say in terms of uh, her personal opinions, that she doesn't think that Facebook should be broken up. I don't care to get into, you know, obviously people have problems with her bringing up that stricter, you know, moderation and stuff like that. Listen, and I know there's conspiracy theories about her being some sort of plant or whatever. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And the idea that she uh, has like a team working with her now uh, to basically deal with the press releases and things like that. Right. I mean, because she's a whistleblower who is working through... Listen, government whistleblowers certainly have it a lot harder. So they're obviously not going to have this like sort of... Uh, you know, well-planned-out, corporate-esque response to this sort of stuff. You know, the, if you're whistleblowing on a company, though, especially one that has bipartisan uh, dislike, both Democrats and Republicans have issues with Facebook. For their own reasons, but issues with Facebook for nonetheless. If you're a whistleblower coming out against this co a company like that, though, it's a lot easier, honestly, in terms of generally just like the government's not going to be uh, coming after you. There'll be a lot more people willing to work with you because, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to hurt them. It still, I mean, is important that she did that. I mean, obviously, she lost her job. Um, I don't know if she is in a financial situation where it was fine. Possibly. Could be. But still, I mean, obviously... Uh, uh, there'll be uh, 
different opportunities that close the doors close because people probably won't, may not trust her and keeping you know internal information within the company where it's supposed to where it's supposed to quote unquote stay right. But whatever, I don't really care. The point is, I I don't care about those conspiracy theories and whatever people want to believe. The point is, she gave out, uh, she made public internal information that basically tells us that not only does Facebook understand the problems with its company, it did the research to find out that those problems are actively harming people. And not just anyone, some of our most vulnerable. So, you know, if you want to attack her because you think she's like hidden CIA or whatever, I, I, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think comes out of that? Like, what do you think comes out of that? I don't. I don't see anything. Um, we do now have a second whistleblower uh, who's coming forward now because you know the the, the domino effect now. The chips are going to fall now, right? Uh, we'll see where that goes. We'll see where that goes. And uh, I think that, you know, Facebook's response says it all, right? They're trying out something new here, right? Attacking her. Because clearly they know it's bad, right? All right, ladies and gentlemen. That is the show. Uh, we're going to go to the second half. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll read some comments. We'll do a shorter second half because... Uh, actually, I'll open up the phone system and we'll, we'll try to do a full-blown second half. Uh, Patreon.com slash Matt Binder if you can support this show. Lost a few patrons. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it happens. But um, lost a few patrons. Uh, but I want to shout out the ones we gained because they're the most important, right? Since the last episode of the show, we got new patrons. DH, Andy C, Joe Rogan, Social Credit Supervisor, Cat Lady, Aaron V, John M, Carol R, and Christian G, thank you all so much for becoming patrons. I greatly appreciate your support. YouTube.com slash Matt Binder. Subscribe there. Still demonetized. Still demonetized. It sucks. Working on it. Hopefully monetization will be back. You can't leave Super Chats without the, without this channel being monetized. So if you could support the patron, I'll be, I'd be grateful. I'll be grateful. Um... Oh, also, if you go to twitter.com slash mapbender, I just got the tip jar turned on for me. I didn't really promote it yet. But if you go to my profile, twitter.com slash mapbender, uh, go in the app, go to my profile. Uh, at the very top, there's a little uh, like money logo. Click that. Uh, and you can see how you can tip me. Uh, I've connected my Patreon, my Venmo, and my Cash App. 
So I guess, you know, if you want to do a one-off payment, you do Cash App or Venmo at the little tip jar thing over on Twitter. Uh, but it'd be great to grow the Patreon and get that uh, recurring. If, if you can, if you can. Uh, doomedcast.com for the podcast version of the show. Rate this podcast.com slash Matt Binder to get all the links on where you could leave podcast reviews. Um, folks, I really appreciate you uh, uh, bearing with me based on last week. Uh, I meant to make an announcement. Uh, I postponed the show and then I went to put my kids to sleep and to make an announcement because I was sick. I, I fell asleep with them and I, I never woke up. <laughs> well, I never woke up that night. And before you knew it, I wake up the next morning and I go, oh shit, I never told everybody that I wasn't doing a show last Thursday. I apologize, I apologize. But I was really under the weather. But I'm feeling better, feeling better. Something went through my whole family. My daughter was super sick for like a week and a half. No, no, no COVID, no COVID thankfully. Knock on wood, no COVID. Um, all right, folks. Going to the second half of the show. Give me one second to just open up the Skype and, and log in. Doomed Live is the Skype. Open up Skype app on your phone, on your computer. Just uh, It's free to sign up and just it's free to call to. Just search Doomed Live. Call in. Uh, all right. Stick around if you're watching the live stream. If you're a patron. If you're not watching the live stream, if you're not a patron, then I will see you all next time, which will be... Fairly soon, actually. On Doomed!